heard of a young pastor who was new to a church. He had just been there for only a matter of about a month or so, and he decided he would take a trip up to the children's church. He just wanted to learn a little bit about what the things, what things the kids were learning about there. So as he went, he talked to the teacher, and, and as he stepped into the classroom, the teacher said, well, we've been studying for a month now on, on the book of Joshua. So the pastor thought, well, you know, let's quiz the kids a little bit. Let's see what the kids know about this study of the, of the book of Joshua. And so he went into the class, and he, and he spoke to the kids, and he said, well, well, who tore down the walls of Jericho? I mean, it seemed like such a popular story from the book of Joshua to him. He thought for sure the kids would know if they'd been studying for an entire month in this book. Well, utter silence. No children speaking until finally little Billy raised up his hand in the back and said, I didn't do it. <laughs> well, so the pastor thought, this is, this is a little bit strange. Surely some of these kids know. He said, you mean to tell me that none of you can tell me who tore down the walls of Jericho? Again, silence for just a moment. Until the teacher spoke up and said, well, well pastor, I believe little Billy. If he says that he didn't tear it down, I think he didn't tear it down. So the pastor was a little bit baffled. I mean, the, the teacher doesn't know it, so he thought he would go and address it with the, the children's ministry director. As he went to speak to the children's ministry director, he relayed all the events of things that had been going on, and, and the children's ministry director finally replied and said, well, you know, that little Billy has given us some trouble in the past. I can go talk to his parents if you want me to. Well, finally, he decided he was going to take it to his leadership team. So he took it in the leadership team meeting. He explained all the things that had been going on. And, and finally, the kind of chief deacon spoke up and said, Well, you know, Pastor, if it was up to me, I'd say let's just take the money out of the general fund to buy a new wall, and we won't have to worry about this thing anymore. <laughs> Sometimes we can get a little bit out of whack when it comes to our responsibility to be teaching and to pouring into individuals, preparing them for the work that God has them to do. God has designed His church to be a place of building up. And the ministry that we share here together is intended to be a ministry where we pour ourselves into each other. That is, the church ought to be a place where we pour truth and wisdom, the sorts of things that God has poured into us. We ought to be pouring those things into the lives of others so that we can build them up to be what God has designed for them to be. Of course, we find ourselves with big problems when we either don't have a handle of the truth and the wisdom for the Christian life that we ought to be pouring into others, or maybe we have those things and yet we are not willing to take the time to establish the relationships to pour those things into the lives of others. When either of those is true for a church, that church will be limping along in any efforts that it makes to try and fulfill Christ's commands to go and make disciples of all the nations. That is, by the way, the essence of this series that we've been going through here together that I've titled, A New Vision for New Vision. We've been tying into this imagery of raw clay and what a potter does with that raw clay as it progresses along, as he first goes and finds the clay. And then he forms it into this vessel that will be 
what he wants it to be eventually, but it's still moldable, still malleable until he takes it and he fires it in the kiln. He puts it into the kiln where it becomes a committed vessel, solid at that point as it's faced the flames of commitment. And then he will take that vessel and he will fill it with whatever it was he had in mind that he was going to be using for his purposes. And ultimately that vessel is not doing what he had in mind back when he originally found that clay until that vessel is pouring. It is flowing out with the riches that have been placed inside of it. And that's, that's the idea. That's the vision that we are putting together here. We desire that Christ would cause through this fellowship, multitudes to be found, formed, fired, filled, and flowing. Found in the sense that we want them found and encountered, uh, found and invited to encounter God here in this worship of His name. So we are multiplying those who would be magnifying God's name. But we don't just want them found. We don't just want them gathering here and worshiping. We want them to be formed into a, into a changed vessel by God's transforming power. That is, we want individuals growing in knowledge of him, growing into his image. And so, in this stage, we are multiplying models of Christ's character. And then we want individuals to be fired in the sense that we want them to be committed, like our brother has given that good testimony to this morning. We want them to say, we want to participate in the Lord's work here. We want to bind together as this body that Christ has established. We want to be fired in our commitment into a solid vessel which is ready for God's use. And then that takes us into the phase that we started out on last Sunday and that we want individuals to be filled. And last week we talked about that in the sense that we want, we want everyone who gathers in this place, everyone who becomes a member of this fellowship, everyone who makes a commitment to know that God's design is for everyone who is a Christian, everyone who has received Christ, to know that you are a minister of his grace. That God calls every one of us who have received his Holy Spirit by faith, by trusting in Jesus, he calls every one of us to be a minister for him, doing his work, bringing the grace of the gospel to bear on the lives of others around us. And so we're continuing through that field stage here today. Last time we talked about every member as a minister this week we're going to have a little bit different of an emphasis, but still focusing on how we want to be filled with God's truth and with the riches that he wants to pour into us so that we can then be flowing those things out to others. And so now we're talking about multiplying ministers of God's grace. That's the essence of this stage that we are talking about now. Now if if I know that every Christian is gifted by the Holy Spirit with some spiritual gift for the purpose of ministering God's grace to others, the question that then comes into my mind, and maybe the question that comes into some of your minds as we think through this idea of this vision that, that God has given us here, is that this question, how do I learn how to use my gift? How do I learn how to put the gift that God has blessed me with by the power of His Spirit into use, into practice in the life of the church? How do I learn to be an effective servant of Jesus? Or maybe another way you could say that. How do I maximize my ministry potential? And what I hope you'll come away with today is this. We maximize our ministry potential when we allow other disciples to fill us with their expertise. 
Let me say that again. We maximize our ministry potential when we allow other disciples to fill us with their expertise. And I just want to start off by telling you this. You have been designed for a relationship with others. You've been designed for a relationship. This has been evident from the very beginning of creation. We see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that after God had, had formed mankind out of the ground, after he created everything else in creation and declared that it was good, we see that God looks upon Adam. And when he looks upon Adam... We read that the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Of all the things that God creates, he declares it all good until he gets to this one instance. And what is it that is not good in God's creation? It's the fact that man is alone. Man is not in relationship. Man is not sharing life with someone else. And so even from creation, not out of the careless thoughts of Adam... But out of the mind of God, we see this design within us that we would have this yearning for a relationship that would require us to have others who are involved in our very lives to find the ultimate fulfillment of what God was created us to be. I think a lot of times we look at that, you know, we look at that Genesis 2 passage and we see Adam and we think that Adam's like, you know, digging through the couch for the remote and he can't find it. He says, God, give me somebody to help me find this remote. That's not the way it goes, right? This is out of the mind of God. God said it is not good for man to be alone. And so we find that while a healthy relationship with God is important, it is the most important of all relationships, still God has designed us such that there is a goodness that we find in one another. And we need relationships with other human beings to find this goodness that he's established for us. Now, there's a quick word that I want to say here about singleness. When we get to the New Testament, we find that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says that if you are single, you should stay single if you can stay single. Don't hear me this morning when I'm saying that we need to be in relationship as saying you need to go out and find somebody. I mean, there are people who kind of wander through this world thinking over and over again, well, I've got to find that person that's going to fill this gap that's within me, and it's got to be this relational partner, this sexual partner, this person who really I share all things of life with. And there's, there's a level of codependency that comes along with that. That's just not the biblical model, okay? When I'm talking about relationship here, I'm talking about any manner of relationships, we see that in Titus chapter 2 as Paul is talking about how disciples ought to be discipling one another. He talks about the older women in the church discipling the younger women. He talks about older men who are discipling younger men in that Titus 2 passage. And so don't, don't hear me as saying if you're single, you're doing something wrong, you're missing out on what God's plan is for you because 1 Corinthians 7 says that ultimately if you're single, you don't have the obligations of a spouse. You don't have the extra work of taking care of a spouse because it takes some work, right? It's okay to not, even if your spouse is beside you, okay? But you're free to be fulfilling all of your energy into your, into your ministry obligations is what Paul is saying there. But he says, if you do marry, you have not sinned. He just says, I'm trying to save you from trouble in this world. So I just wanted to give that caveat but the, the first thing I hope you see is that God's designed us for a relationship with others. The second thing I want you to see is that God wants your relationships to be avenues for his equipping work. 
this filling work that we're talking about in our vision. As God first conveyed in his instructions through the law of Moses to his people, he made it clear as he gave what is known as the Shema. The Shema is really the, the Hebrew word which means hear. As the, the Hebrews would call it the Shema, this, this section of verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in these verses, God is conveying to his people who he is and what they ought to do with the truths that he's about to reveal to them. And it's a very relational sort of passage. We take the truth of God and we apply it in a relational way. Listen to how that happens in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is all God-oriented thinking, but it has very real implications for how we interact with others. Verse 6, these words which I am commanding to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. There's a relationship. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you, uh, when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates. What relationships were the Israelites supposed to utilize to convey God's instructions? Well, here God commands them to use their family relationships by teaching them diligently to their sons. And then there are those who just simply come into the house or those who are encountered along the road as they walk by their houses and see these things written on their doorposts. And so there's, there's a word here for those who think that they only need God, that they can just be a Christian sitting in the basement, studying their Bible and never getting out and having relationship with anyone else. That's not the way that God has designed to fill us up, to prepare us, to equip us, to pass on to us the knowledge of previous generations and those who've been walking with Christ in a particular area for a more persistent walk. Because God has designed for those things to come through the relationships that we share with one another. And Jesus' call, his call to make disciples who are those who observe all of his commands. This, this call doesn't come out of a vacuum. It, it's not as though, you know, Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples and they're suddenly getting out their dictionary to say, well, what's a disciple? Because when Jesus gives that command in Matthew 28, that is the basis of all we've been talking about here in this vision. He gives it in the context of those who have been called as the 12, what? Disciples, Right. They know what Jesus' model is. They've been living this model in person, walking with Jesus for a certain amount of time. And we too can read what this model was. We too should not be confused about what it means to make disciples when Jesus commands that in Matthew 28. And so it's very instructive for us then to look at what was the life of these who were called the disciples like so that we will know when Christ tells us to go and make disciples, we will know what it is that we ought to be doing. And Jesus gave us this living example here in his time on earth of how we can prepare individuals for ministry, how we can fill them up with truth and purpose for God's glory. And so we turn now to Mark chapter 3. Find your way in your Bibles to Mark 3. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't, 
You can look along with someone else. We'll have it on the screen as well. But Mark chapter 3, we find the choosing of the 12, the choosing of these who would be known, the ones who would have this context of what it means to be a disciple because they had been called as disciples. And what do we learn about them? Well, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13, that's where the 12 are chosen. And he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. Here we have relational discipleship on display. Discipleship that happens in the context of relationships with others. A disciple is simply someone who is committed to a discipline. The discipline we would describe here is the very teaching of Jesus, following the life of Jesus. When we talk about relational discipleship, we're talking about those who come into a relationship with someone else for the purposes of pursuing this following model of following Jesus. And that's what we're going to see exhibited for us here in these verses of Mark chapter 3. Jesus calls these disciples, and we see, first of all here, that relational discipleship will fill you up for ministry to Jesus. Because that's certainly what happens with these disciples. And this short passage here describes why Jesus called his disciples to follow him. This is a very succinct summary of the ministry that he was calling them to do. In these verses, Jesus shows us that relationships are the avenues for a filled sort of life lived in ministry to him. And so as we look at these verses a little bit closer, I want to share with you four lessons of how to live in relational discipleship that fills us for ministry. The first is this. We must want to see others built up in Jesus. I mean, this must be our heart's longing to want to see others built up in Jesus. If we, if we don't start with this basis, then we'll never get to the point of establishing the relationships that are going to be pouring in and filling others up with the grace and the truth that they need to be the ministers that he calls them to be. And in Mark 3.13, we see Jesus summoning to the mountain those whom he himself, the word is wanted, the ones who Jesus wanted. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus wanting you to be his minister? Jesus being on the earth and wanting out of all the people who are on the earth, you to be one of the select 12 that he's calling to come and to minister for his grace. Can you imagine what an awesome experience, what an honor that would be? Have any of you ever been on the line, you know, that line in the playground where there are two team captains and they're selecting the members of each team? You're like, man, I really want to be on the team. Don't, don't leave me to last. Don't, don't leave me without a team. I had that experience just this past week as we were gathering together with our youth. And we were out on, out on the field and all of us leaders were lined up with the youth and we were picking teams for kickball. And here I was near the end of the line. And I didn't get picked! We, the, it was for a good reason, though. We had enough youth that we didn't need leaders to be playing, so it, that's a good reason to not be picked. But it, it reminded me of those experiences back when I was a little scrawny kid of not getting picked for the games, not getting picked to be on the team. And here are the disciples. They've got the opportunity to be picked 
for Jesus, to serve as ministers of his grace, of his gospel. Can you imagine what it would be like for Jesus to want you to be on his team? Well, I want to tell you, folks, the imagination becomes a reality when we see this Great Commission call to make disciples who make disciples because Jesus wants you to be on his team. Jesus so yearned to have you on his team that he bore the shame, he bore the humiliation, he bore the mockery of the cross of Calvary so that he could win you back so that he could restore you from your lost and wandering ways. Oh, sinner, come to Jesus because he wants you on his team. He wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you ministering for his grace. He's he's moved heaven and earth so that you could be in this position to have eternal life in his presence. This is the joy of the gospel, friends. That Jesus wants you to be on his team and he has paid the debt so that you can be. That's what we proclaim in the gospel. And you can be sure through the Great Commission that Jesus wants to see you grow. Here we capture just a glimpse of his training program to build up disciples who, who he can then call to go and make disciples themselves. How does that happen? It happens as he calls these 12 individuals to share life with him. Now you might look at this passage and you might say, well, this is a passage about Jesus drawing those 12 guys to himself. This has nothing to do with Jesus calling me and wanting me to serve him. Well, if that's your mentality, I just want to tell you, you're wrong. Because Jesus said this also. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. He's now in a phase where he's drawing all men to himself. He's calling for disciples now who will make disciples of all the nations. That is, Jesus is calling for all of us to become members of his grace. And he wants us to be on this team so much that he gave up his life on the cross of Calvary to buy you back from your trespasses and sins. Jesus died for all. He tasted death so that you don't have to bear the full wrath of God. He bore it himself so that you might come to him and receive eternal life so that whosoever will may come to him. But these disciples, I mean, here they are, they're, they're you know, kind of kludgy guys. We find out later on that they're you know, tax collectors, which are not really respected in Jesus' day. They're, they're, they're sinners. They're, they're fishermen. I mean, they aren't of some sort of high calling, some sort of great education. They're just your old regular guys with a lot of nasty background, a lot of things going on in their history that really needs to be dealt with. But Jesus calls them because Jesus loves to take the raw and the rudimentary and to make it into something beautiful. He loves to take the things which are broken and make them restored. And he will do that with you, my friends. And so I say to you, oh, runaway sinner, come to Jesus. Come to him and find eternal life. Come to him and find undying love. Come to him and find love that can never be separated. Come to him and find true grace in the face of Christ. If you're a child of God, then you are a minister of God's grace, gifted to do his work. 
We talked last Sunday about how each, how each believer is gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. Why are we gifted? Well, there's a couple of verses that will give us some hints as to why we're gifted. One of them we looked at last week, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. There's some benefit for the common good of, of the body of Christ, which is the church, that is the reason why God gifts us with His Spirit. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound, why? For the edification of the church. God's gifts are given to us when we are saved so that we can edify the church. That word edify just means to build up, so that we can build up the church. God has a building plan for every Christian, and that blueprint for building Christians is relational discipleship. That is, God has designed for us to use our relationships with one another to build one another up so that we can be more equipped, more ready, more impactful in the ministry that we carry out together. And so we must want to see others built up in Jesus, just as he himself longed to see his disciples built up and called them toward that objective. That's the first lesson on how to live in relational discipleship that that fills us for the ministry. The second lesson is this. We must find ways to share ministry expertise with one another. I mean, we've got to make this intentional effort to find ways to share the expertise that God has poured into us so that we can build one another up. You see, Jesus was the expert of all experts in ministry. I mean, who knew how to minister to God better than God in the flesh? God in humanity himself. And how did he convey his expertise to his disciples? Well, Mark 3.14 says he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. You see, he called them to share life with with him. He called them to share life with him. And they were going to get this on-the-job ministry training by traveling with the greatest minister and the greatest mentor who ever lived as he carried out his ministry, as he carried out his daily responsibilities. Can you imagine the opportunity to learn in those ways? Now, I have, in my professional secular career, I have worked for a variety of employers as a software engineer. I am now on my seventh employer since college. And so I've I've experienced a good breadth of kind of what it's like to get into a new company and to learn what it's like to get accustomed to how things are going in the business world. And you know the places where I've really seen my work thriving the most? It's been those places where there have been those who have been mentors for me, those who would sit down with me, who would explain to me the way the company worked, who when I had a question would explain for me, who when I had made something wrong, who had done something wrong, they would explain for me, well, here's the way we do it. Here's the way to improve that. Here's the way to grow toward the purpose. They were individuals who were building me up, but they were doing that because they were sharing life with me. And it seems like there's so many contexts of life where we expect to be having relationships that build us up for the purposes that we're, that we're striving for. But in the church, it's like we, we get together in groups and we expect the groups to do that. And that is a certain important element. But how much more effective would we be if we really made ourselves available so that we could have one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-three sort of conversations just to share, here's what God has poured into my life. Here's what I see in you. Here's how I think God is calling you to work in this situation. Here's how you can get more effective in what God is calling you to do with this task 
that he's calling you to because I've got the experience and I don't mind sharing that with you. Do you see how we can build one another up through that sort of experience? On-the-job training. That's what Jesus is given to his disciples here. And there are some of you who have great gifts, great experience, have great overall wisdom and expertise in ministry, but you're going it alone. You're not sharing your expertise with anyone else. You're not filling anyone else up. And truth be told, that may not even be your fault. It may just be that there's nobody who's really seems to be ramped up and ready and willing to come to you and say, man, I'd see what you're doing there. And I would love how to do that. I would love to know how to do that. I'd love to participate in that. I'd love to be a part of that ministry. But it's clear that making disciples is not a solo mission. You can't fulfill the Great Commission in a vacuum. You can't make, go and make disciples if you never share life with others. And likewise, you shouldn't expect to become a disciple without encountering disciple makers and spending time with them. And we need to get those who have this ministry expertise paired up with those who have this ministry potential. And so we'll see God initiating these sorts of relationships that will bring about discipleship. Who should be on the front end of that? I mean, should the mentors, those with the expertise, be looking around and saying, hey, I want you to come and work. I want you to come and work. Or should it be those who are like kind of the novices and like, man, I really want to serve in the church, but I don't know where. Hey, would you mind letting me work with you for a little while and pouring into me? Which one of those should happen? I really don't care. I, I mean, really, it doesn't matter which end the initiation happens on. What is great is that we would find opportunities to really pour into one another and work together as a body of Christ. Life on life discipleship. That's what we're after. Now, some of you are here every week, and, and you've been here for years, and you think to yourself, I don't have what it takes to disciple someone else in this life on life sort of fashion. Well, if that's you, there's probably some reasons why you would be thinking that sort of thing, right? One, one might be that you really just, you know, you got some level of, of thing that's going on in your life that you really haven't dealt with, and so you, you really don't want to be, you know, trying to pour into someone else when you haven't dealt with that thing. If that's you, just, just deal with the thing, right? If it's some sin, if it's some bad relationship, if it's some addiction, break the power of that. And as a matter of fact, there probably are uh, discipleship relationships with individuals who are here who have been through that very thing. And so come to your leadership and say, hey, man, I'm struggling with this thing. And I would love to point you in the direction of someone who can walk with you through those things and help you to find peace and release. Or, or maybe you like to think in this mentality of, you know, well, I'm too old. I just can't, I can't do anything because I'm, I'm too old. You know, my days passed. I, I was involved in the church early on. Let me tell you this. You're never too old to pour the wisdom of godliness into others. I read of a man who was on his deathbed and wrote to his son and said, come and let me show you how a Christian dies. Because even up to our death, there is a lesson to teach others of how we should be enduring the hardships of our life. There's all varieties of other things that could get in the way of us sharing in this life-on-life -life relationship with one another. But let's just have this mentality of pursuing. And one of the things that's tough of me for me about preaching through a, a, a message like this is like I want to have all the concrete details together right I want to tell you all right here's the 18 things that we're going to do to make you disciple makers right here's the 18 things we're going to do to make sure that every one of you has three disciples under you right 
And I, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. Not every relationship works the same. Not pe- people can't always meet at the same times during the week. You know, sometimes that's a conversation that happens out in the hallway after church. Sometimes it's a, a deliberate thing to say that I'm going to meet with you and we're going to have coffee once a week or once a month. And I, I'm really just going to oversee what you're doing. I'm going to pour into you what, what we've got going on. I just, I just, it's tough for me because we can't put the specifics in place. What did Jesus do though? He found a way. He found the way to get these folks engaged in sharing in life with him. And through that, they were prepared for ministry. So we must find ways to share ministry expertise with one another. That's the second lesson on how to live in relational, relational discipleship that fills us for ministry. The third is this. We must be intentional about preparing one another for ministry. Jesus was very intentional in his calling of his disciples. Did you catch what his intentionality was in uh, uh, chapter 3 of Mark, verse 14. He appointed the 12 so that they would be with him and so that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Right from the very beginning of this relationship, Jesus has a mentality that he's going to be sending his disciples out. He has the mentality that they are going to be going to do what he is training them to do. Jesus has appointed disciples so that he could train them up and send them out to be disciple makers. He appointed this group of men. He called them to share life with him so that he could send them out to be ministers of God's grace. And Jesus wasn't just looking for a new group of buddies. It's good to have good friends, right? It's good to have friends that you can share life with. But this is more than that sort of relationship. Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, I want some guys to come around and break bread with me. He had a very intentional focus of training these individuals up so that they could go and preach the gospel. They could go and drive out demons. They could go and fulfill gospel ministry. So the time that they were spending together was invested time. It was time spent at the outset with the mentality that one day soon, these disciples would be headed out to carry out ministry all on their own. And if Jesus' model, what he models for us here with the disciples, is really the best model that we have of how we ought to do this work of making disciples, and I believe that it is, but if that's the best model, then all of us need more than just friendships with other believers. We need mentorship relationships with believers who can pour their expertise into us, who can make us better disciples for his grace. And I don't know about you folks, but I've been blessed with a few mentors who are like this through the years. These are men who I go out to with lunch or who I share time in conversation with after the church hour. They haven't just been interested in my friendship. They've been interested in building me up. They've been interested in seeing where God's gifts are within me, encouraging those gifts, ensuring that I find ways to serve in those ways. They've been interested in, in kind of plugging me in with the things that I'm kind of kicking and screaming not really wanting to do until I find out that, wait a minute, there's a reason they had me there, because they saw God's hand working in a certain area. And they encourage me to change my habits. They teach me how to do what needs to be done. And then they turn me loose in the sense that I, that I step out into ministry with some oversight maybe to start with, but eventually working towards doing what God has gifted me to do. And we all need individuals who are like that, who are investing in us to prepare us for doing ministry with our gifts so we must be intentional about preparing one another for ministry that's the third lesson on how to live in relational discipleship 
that fills us for ministry. The final lesson is this. We must hold one another accountable. Jesus did train up his disciples, and he did follow through with the reason they originally began this discipleship relationship with him. That is, he did send them out to minister on their own. He did send them out to preach the gospel. But after that, we see that they actually come back to Jesus to, to give him an account of all that's been going on. There's an accountability that happens in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. That's where we read, The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And friends, I just want to ask you this. Are, are you keeping in touch with anyone who is really interested in knowing how you are growing in Christ? Who is really interested in hearing a report of, of how God is working in your life, of how God is growing you, of how God is transforming the struggles that you once faced into the, the wonderful testimony that you now have of how he's broken the chains. Is, is there anyone who's kind of encouraging you to take up the mantle of Christ in your workplace and to share Jesus with your friends and family and your co-workers? Is, is there anyone who's pressing you on in these ways? Well, I want to tell you, I see a lot of folks in this body who have gifts that would serve so well to be poured into the lives of others. But we've got to want it. We've got to want to be a part of what Jesus is calling us to do, what Jesus is exemplifying for us here, and really investing in one another and taking a personal interest and seeing to it that God's glory is multiplied because we are investing in one another. That's the high calling that God's Word shows to us here. And this is not a calling that everyone is ready to jump into at first. That's why this is one of the later stages of our vision. Because not everybody is ready to step up and be a disciple maker. Not everybody is ready to have the commitment that says, I want to be in a relationship where we're meeting on some regular basis and somebody is pouring into me the, the truth and the purpose that's going to equip me to be a better Christian. Not everybody's ready for that. That's okay. Don't feel like I'm trying to run folks off if you're not sharing in these sorts of relationships. I'm just trying to see what God's Word says for us and find how I can encourage us as a body to pursue that model to the glory of His name. And so that's what we're striving to do, my friends. And so maybe you're here today and you've never really realized that God wants you to be on his team. God wants you to be a part of this glorious body known as the church that he is calling and transforming and using for his ministry with the purpose that one day he will redeem us as his very bride to live forever in his presence and to enjoy all the blessings that he would bestow upon us. Maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't realized that, that Christ wants you. He wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to be redeemed. He wants you to receive his grace. Well, I want you to know that his grace is so rich and so free and so freely available because he's paid all the cost. He's dealt with all the damage. He took it all upon himself so that you could come freely to serve him. And I want you to know that there are no stipulations. What you do is entrust your life to Christ. Fall into his arms. Say, Lord Jesus, you take my life and you make me into something new. Maybe that's a, a desire of your heart here today. Or maybe you, you just want to take time to pray through, well, God, I see you've given this example in Scripture of how you invested in some individuals in a very life-on-life -life sort of situation. God, would you lead me to someone where I can do that same sort of thing? 
would you give me a heart for seeing that? Or would you give me a humble heart that says, I need someone in this space, and would you guide me to someone who can bless me and fill me up in this way? Maybe there's some need on your heart here today. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, I just want to thank you that when you saw the greatest void of all in our hearts, when you saw that we had turned every direction against you, when you saw that our thoughts were all evil, when you saw that we were without hope, you took the initiative to fill us up. You took the initiative to make us whole. You took the initiative through Christ to make us well. And so, Father, out of, out of gratitude for these things, Lord, I pray that you would give us the heart to be a body which seeks to be filled up with your purposes, flowing for your glory. God, bless us with this mentality. Bless us with a heart to fill one another up, a heart to build one another up into all that we can be. And Father, if there is that one who is here today, that one who needs to hear this message that you have an unfathomable, undying love which reaches out to us no matter where we are, God, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, not by some word which I have spoken, but by your Spirit, you would transform in that heart right now and call to yourself those who need to hear this message, those who need to be saved, those who need a Savior. Let them know that Jesus saves and that he does so willingly and with a full measure of grace. May they turn from their sins and come running to Christ and trusting life to him. Lord, as we, as we share in this final moment of invitation, Lord, if there's some prayer that needs to be offered, if there's some word of encouragement that needs to be spoken, if there's some decision that needs to be made, Lord, I pray you give courage to those who would do these things. And may your grace resound even in this hour, Lord, as we see you at work equipping your church for ministry. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.